good. All right, very good. It's good to see everybody. This morning, we're starting uh, starting our marathon into the uh, book of Genesis. I figure mm, two, three years from now, we'll finally be done with it, but uh, we'll have a great time while we do it. And so what we're doing this morning is doing a kind of a little warm-up to it, um, and then reminder that next week I'll be out of town, and so Bob Orr will be taking the class, and he'll be looking at the attributes of God as we think about the first uh, basically three words of the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God, all right? Uh, You would think that um, those three words would maybe not be such a, a controversial thing, but as we will talk about a little bit today, and then we'll be seeing this all through our study, um, is that if you mess up those three words, then your life is uh, significantly impacted uh, in many different ways. We'll be able to talk about that, but then also just in terms of the whole orientation that you have to life and creation and meaning and purpose in life. And all those things are tied to uh, uh, one's belief about or one's teaching about those three words. And so we'll, uh, we'll have a good, good fun with that. Uh, any of you familiar with this book? You know this book, The Universe Next Door? Um, it's a book about, um, that looks at the common, uh, worldviews that pe- many people today have. As you can see, it's a sixth edition. And I'm using this book uh, today uh, to help with our lesson for today. But if you are interested in giving some thought to learning about the way that people today think, uh, both from a philosophical point of view, but also from a, a religious theological point of view, this book is really instructive. And it's written in a way that normal people can understand it. So it's not like it's just totally loaded up with uh, heavy-duty uh, uh, terms and that kind of thing. But it's very interesting to be able to look at uh, the wavelengths of people today and many of the things that we're dealing with in a world worldwide, but also in our own, in our own culture, our own uh, country, that it has its roots in uh, the philosophies that many of which are not Christian, in fact, are antagonistic to Christian. And we all sort of picking up on that, but we hadn't really had anything that would nail that down for us. So anyway, this book, if at the end of class, oh, I'll just pass it around, then you can make sure you get it back to me, okay? Yes, if I, if I leave the room without it, Jan, come on, share, share, okay? But take a look at it, see if that would be of, uh, of interest to you. Okay, so let's look at uh, our first, uh, first part here, uh, inter- introduction. Ever since our fall into sin, God has repeatedly had to remind us that He is God and we are not. As we work our way through Genesis, we'll see the origins of that tension and its effects even to this day. It's likely that our tendency to take a good thing, free will, the ability to reason, etc., okay, and corrupt it by a sinful nature, which then turns good into evil, will attempt to deny the existence of the one who created us and assert ourselves as a more palatable God. So when we get into Genesis, and particularly when we get into Genesis 3, with the whole Adam and Eve in the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and that whole thing, okay? When we get into that, what's going to happen is we're going to see the main issue for Adam and Eve, and then the main issue for for human beings for the rest of time until we go to heaven, or if you don't go to heaven, okay? But it's the issue of who is God. And when it boils down to it, there's only two choices. I mean, people have lots of different gods, but at the end of the day, it's either God is God or I am God. And so what we want to think about is what are the ramifications of that, both from an obvious point of view, but also maybe a little bit more from a uh, subtle point of view. So number two, in our, in our journey through Genesis, we'll be looking at it through at least three opposing lenses, only one of which offers faith, hope, and love. The other two, which are very popular today, might promise the freedom of such, the faith, hope, and love, but they fail miserably. We'll examine the offshoots of each which show up philosophically in today's thinking, 
which is influencing many people away from a loving relationship with God and then therefore missing out on faith, hope, and love. So um, what what I'm going to try to do is illustrate a lens through which people make sense of life. So if I say it that way, does that resonate? Does that make sense, what, I'm, what it is I'm trying to, to get across? Is, so stuff happens in life, right? That's, everybody has that experience. The question is, how do you make sense of it? In other words, when stuff happens in life, good stuff or bad stuff, okay, what is it that you do with it in order to live with it or in order to figure out... Uh, what the meaning of it is, or to to determine how you're going to live your life uh, in the midst of it if it's something that you can't change, if it's something that you can't influence or make any difference in the way that things go, of which there are many things in life like that, aren't there? Yeah. Now, some things, yeah, you can make a change, and it, it, it affects the change. But there's a lot of things in life that we would like to think as human beings that we are like captains of our souls, right? That we can totally control it and make it happen or make it be different. So lens number one is the lens of nat- what's called naturalism or humanism. Maybe you've heard of secular humanism. That, com- that comes out of this. And this is part of, that, uh, part of that book that I introduced to you, all right? So in lens number one, stuff in life happens, okay? That's a given. The lens of of naturalism is there is no God, therefore I am God. And if I am God, then what that means is is that I have to to, to depend on human oriented uh, aspects of my godness in order to uh, figure out how things work and how I'm gonna uh, make sense of the world around me. So if it's human oriented and only human oriented then what am I, how am I going to feel about my ability to reason? Is that going to be important or is that going to be kind of on the side? Very important, critically important, okay? Uh, my pursuit of knowledge. The more I know, the better I feel, the more I can control what's going on around me, right? So the pursuit of knowledge is going to be a really big thing. And then just we think of it as it would pertain to uh, a love of science and those kinds of things. Now, when you think about science and knowledge and reasoning, good or bad, they're great. Where would we be without science? Where, in fact, think of it this way: Where would you be without Novocaine? <laughs> Max, Max, what kind of business would you have if there was no such thing as Novocaine? Not much. Not much. Yeah. Yeah, uh, go back to the cowboy days, you know, people say, oh, the good old days, you know, oh, boy. There's that, you know, in that, what is that movie, uh, one of my favorite John Wayne movies is Rio Lobo, and there's this scene where he goes into the dentist's office. Whenever I see that, I think of you, and 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 he's, the dentist climbs up on into his lap, and he's got this big thing, and, you know, then he's saying, hey, let's pull on this, pull on this, and that's, I guess that's how it was in those days, right? Yeah. Ooh, you didn't want to be that in those days. All right. So if it wasn't for science, we wouldn't have Novocaine. Think of it that way. Yeah. Went to the dentist mom and hold my knee. Now, do you realize what you just said? I know. I'm old. <laughs> no, that isn't what I was thinking. I was thinking that when you got married, you needed Novocaine. That's what I was thinking. Boy, did I go to the wrong place on that one. Oh, so you that Nancy, that was like in your experience. Yes. So I bet you looked forward to the going to the dentist and holy. Oh, every six months. That would be an incentive though to brush your teeth and floss every every chance you get, I suppose. All right. All right. So so again, see, we would look at this and we would say science, knowledge, and reasoning is all good. It's good. Okay. The, the problem with it is if I'm using that as evidence that I am God or that I come at life through the perspective of saying there is no God, therefore I am God, then the problem is, is that the limits of science, knowledge, and reasoning, as, as good as it is, it's a gift from God, as good as it is, becomes problematic, particularly when it comes to 
the pursuit or the enjoyment of faith, hope, and love in your life? How do you do a scientific study, a knowledge study, or even a reasoning study of faith, hope, and love? Have you ever noticed that there are times when faith, hope, and love makes absolutely no sense, right? Which, which one of the three, faith, hope, and love, would you say is the most illogical? Love, why love? I mean, what is, what is it about love for you that you would say that? There's a lot of muttering going on here, so that's so. We, we, we must, must have touched a nerve. Yeah. Richard? It's tangible. It's ta- love is tangible? No, it's no. the least tangible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, in other words, um, taking earthbound hope. Yeah. I hope that things will get better. Kind of hope. And, you know, every spring all the things green up. So yeah. That's physical evidence. Yes. Okay. Um, I just I, I think that love is the most intangible. I met a uh, I met a twenty uh, seven year old kid. Now, for me, everybody that's under sixty is a kid. Okay, so that's uh, kind of gives you a little perspective of that. But I met somebody this past week who young man. Um, who has decided that he is at a point in his life where he's agnostic, okay? And he's professed to be agnostic. Grew up in a uh, evangelically Christian home, went to a uh, Lutheran uh, school in his upbringing, so he got all the good stuff, right? And reached a point in his high school years where he decided to start thinking for himself, okay? Which is good. I mean, we kind of want that. And in his pursuit of thinking for himself using primarily science, knowledge, and reasoning, has come to the, come to the conclusion that uh, there might be a God, but the God that he sort of is relating to or maybe has kind of a, not really a personal relationship with, but sort of has a, a curiosity about, okay? So there's still a little spark there for him, right? But the, what was interesting about it was, was that the more that we talked about just life, is what the prominent um, the, the prominent uh, vibe that I continue to get off from him was the absence of faith, hope, and love, and that what was really there instead was despair. Despair, which is a sad thing. Now, the good thing is that he and I are talking with each other, and so even though the, internally I was like freaking out, um, I don't ever like try to give that uh, vibe off to people, you know, but it was a little bit of unnerving, right? Especially when you hear that someone um, was raised in a, a pretty, you know, pretty tight Christian home and, uh, and then also went to Lutheran school and all those kinds of things to get all of that that we would say is the good stuff in life, right? So anyway, it just, uh, it struck me that the limits of science, knowledge, and reasoning, if we're only depending on that to figure out things in life, is that it can lead you to a kind of despairing about life because so much of life in terms of what people see, okay, and then what they conclude from it is what would be the point? Why would I ever believe anything, i.e. faith, why should I have any hope for the future? He's convinced that uh, the world will not exist in 15 years. Okay, so he's kind of caught up in some of the climate change uh, stuff going on. And then uh, his life feels very much void of love. Um, and so that's kind of where we're starting. Yeah, Eddie. Well, I think the two statements that uh, there is no God and I am God do not necessarily belong together, and the second one does not come from the first. Okay, say more about that. What I'm saying is that even the secular humanists can, can say the first, but don't put themselves up, up to you know, some unreasonable high. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And, and, and obviously some people do that, mm-hmm. but 
Others just maybe believe in the purpose of science and the ability of man to create new things and better things. Yes. And also, the, the faith, hope, and love, obviously they don't have faith. But they still may have hope, mm-hmm. and they may have love, but it's, it's much more difficult for them to have those things. Yes, and so when I put in there, there is no God, that is the statement of the secular humanist, humanist atheist, okay? What I draw from that, that's me, okay, is that it comes down to two things, either the human is the God or God is the God. So that's my, I probably could have put that into parentheses as a conclusion from that. So good catch on that, good catch. The other thing with respect to that, especially with love, when you think about it, who is it that doesn't want to be loved? Who is it that doesn't want the opportunity to give love? Insane person. Insane, that maybe wouldn't know it, but even on a a base sort of vibe level, someone still wants to be taken seriously or wants to be accepted or wants to be regarded in an unconditional way. We call it unconditional positive regard in psych world, okay? So everybody is kind of born with wanting that. So here's the interesting thing about that faith, hope, and love part, Okay is that if it is human-based, in other words, if it's human-sourced in terms of where I get it from and then how I give it, it's not sustainable. If it's God-sourced, it's sustainable. And see, that's what the Scriptures say to us over and over again. It's for, the example would be forgiveness, which is an act of love to forgive someone. Okay? Why do you forgive? Because we forgive. Because he, he forgave us. That's right. See, So the source of the strength to do it and the motivation to do it in the first place is not centered on me. I don't forgive because I think you're never going to do it ever again, right? You may think that, but that's kind of a pipe dream. Or I don't forgive because it feels good. Now, does it feel good? Not always. Sometimes it feels terrible to have to forgive somebody particularly when whatever they did rose to the level of being some sort of abuse or some sort of, you know, terrible thing, right? We're still called to forgive. Now, you know, we've talked a lot about forgive and trust or kind of do two different things, okay? So I'm talking about forgive. But it's the same thing with the nature of of loving somebody. Who is the easiest person to love? Oh, besides yourself, yes. Yes, who is the second easiest person to love, right? Your mother. Huh? Your mother. Maybe. <laughs> who, who are the easiest people to love? The people that what? Love you. Yeah, if you're loving them, if you love me, I am all over it. Let me tell you, right? Right? But that's not sustainable. The agape love that the Bible talks about, which is unconditional loving of somebody else and God's unconditional loving of us. If that is rooted in my own strength to do it, my own mood, my own motivation, I got this much for you, right? Because there will be those moments when I'm thinking to myself, I just can't do that with you, given your history with me. But when it's rooted in God, when it's sourced in God, I like to use that word sourced, okay? Then it's sustainable even when you don't feel like it. And even when you think to yourself that maybe it's not even in your best interest to love that person. I, I was thinking a lot about that today when I was reading the uh, epistle lesson in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember that? I love those, I love those verses. I, um, I, about two weddings a year, which is about the length of number of, that I'm doing these days, uh, is we, they, they, they pick this. And I love this. Okay. So while I was reading it today, my brain was going, so part of my brain was there with you, and then part of my brain was thinking about, hey, this would be great in Bible class to talk about, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's my kind of multitasking, all right? But notice that this is what he's talking about, is he's talking about love from the point of view of either it's human-sourced and therefore unsustainable throughout your relationship with other people, okay? Or 
it's God sourced and it's doable and not only doable, but now it's definable in terms of what it actually is when it's unconditional and when it's something that we do because God does it with us first. Right. So that's where, you know, easily, easily you could take the word love and put in the word Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. See, all those kinds of things are what God is for us. He fills us, and that increases our capacity to do that with each other, especially when the persons that we're doing it with don't seem to know how to give it back to us, which some people have limited capacity. Yeah. Sure. It's also commanded. What? It's also commanded. Oh, yeah, besides that, the Bible says do it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But but again, think of it this way. It is not just because God gets a kick out of it, right? It's because it's our best life, okay? Our best life is doable when it's centered in and fed by and motivated by God himself. And see, that's what people miss out on when they go the naturalistic in the sense of humanistic way. Okay, so just uh, the basic uh, tenets of naturalism is God doesn't exist. Uh, It leads to Marxism. So Marx himself was was a, a secular humanist, a naturalist. And the critical theories that we have talked about before in here that are rooted in Marxism are then, uh, by by uh, connection, are rooted in humanism or naturalism. That's why they're not godly. Now, it's not to say that being concerned about and involved in uh, racial equality and and loving people as ourselves and all the all the stuff that the Bible talks about doing, we need to be doing that. Right. But to take it from the philosophical basis of uh, critical theory takes you right down the path away from God. Okay. Yeah. Your point about uh, a moment ago about uh, about the the feeling of 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 God's love and all. Yeah. It's you know if if you're if you you come from from the baseline that we do now of God's grace. Yeah. That all fits in beautifully. Yeah. Because God's grace comes first. Yeah. But if you come from a faith based on legalism, it all falls apart. That's right. And that's where I was very early in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, that you've got to be saved by your works. Yeah. And if there's hopelessness there, total yeah. hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah, because, because then you're never sure if the good that you did outweighs the bad that you did. And then if the good that you did was good enough. And the hurdle between the two is massive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So because I I think part of it is, is that even if you're like the nicest person that ever existed to everybody else, at the end of the day, when you look in the mirror, you see yourself and you go, no, you know. And so there's a little bit of that kind of, self-recrimination that a person will often do if they're honest with themselves, right? And then so that despair of self becomes a very kind of secret. It's kind of like uh, hidden away inside, but it's that's where that despair comes from, yeah. The other part of the despair, and we'll see this in the second lens, is the fear that no matter how hard you try, uh, it's not ever going to get better than this. Okay, that that the world is not going to be more fair because you want it to be or because you uh, try to be a fair person. Okay, and so, again, see, that's that that when when the strength to think that way and the strength to actually do it in your own life is centered in yourself. The problem is, is that there's a limit to it. Okay, and the limit is often geared by the mood that you're in, or if you, you know, you know how it is. Like if you have a headache someday, how nice are you to be around? Are you a nice person to be around, Brian, when you have a headache? Yeah, good that you said that because we were going to ask other people. So that's, uh, yeah. But you know, that's how that is. See, the limits are kind of on the basis of how we feel or, or kind of what's going on. And if, 
And if it isn't a good day, well, then you're going to let everybody know it is not a good day, right? And they won't have a good one either unless they avoid you, right? <laughs> okay, so that's where that's this. Okay, so another one, the universe is eternal, not created. So the whole thing about creation uh, gets in the way of the, uh, of the humanist. Um, I read a quote. Let's see, what does it say? That something cannot be uh, derived out of nothing. Something has to come from what? Something. Okay? That would be that perspective. And so uh, in the first four words of the, of the Bible are, in the beginning, God created. Okay? Created, the way that we define created is what? Made something out of nothing. So you can see where there would be, that would be problematic for the uh, humanist. Um, in terms of uh, life, how we do life, God does not determine morality. So if God doesn't determine morality, who does? We do. You do. You get to decide what's right and wrong. You get to decide what's up and down. You get to decide. And because everybody's different, we'll make it relative. All right? So what's good for you may not be good for me. What's right for you might not be right for me. So now everybody gets to live according to their own rules about how life ought to be. Okay? Humans are accidents of organic evolution. And so, therefore, there is no eternal purpose in life. You live your life now, and that's it. Okay? Live your life now. Now, the young man that I've re referenced before, I asked him about that. Um, and his, his basic view, his current basic view is, I hope I'm going to heaven. Okay? I hope I'm going to heaven. So I was glad to hear that heaven is still kind of in the picture. Right? Yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to kind of do that with different people is that you can't um, or I would not suggest that you jump on every little nuance of uh, bad theology. Right. Because if you do that, you're going to shut down the conversation. And so what you do is you look for things that are still there and you try to build on those things. So there's several things that uh, he and I are going to have some more conversation about. OK, so that's that. That's that first lens of naturalism or humanism. The second lens is a deistic uh, lens, which is referred to as moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, I mentioned that one because that one is very popular today among younger people. Okay, So that one is identified as, as being a very prominent in people basically that are under 30. And the reason why I mention that is not because there's that many uh, people under 30 in this room. That's not why I'm mentioning it. All right, there's, we have a few, okay? And not everybody is like this, okay? But this is a prominent view. Is because if we are thinking about how to relate the faith to the next generation, part of it is, is that we need to understand where that generation's coming from. You remember when Paige was here, okay, what she was talking about? was a lot of this sort of thing in terms of how uh, how we relate to that. So in, in this one, the acknowledgement when stuff, stuff in life happens, that's, that's very common, okay? There is a God, okay? Now, for a lot of young people, there is a God, but that doesn't mean I have a relationship with that God. It's more of a, a, an intellectual construct. It's more of a thing but not necessarily something with whom I have a connection, okay? And so the, the conclusion from that is that I get to define that God, and then more significantly, I get to control that God. And so if I'm going to control the God, this is what I want that God to be like under moralistic therapeutic deism. Number one, God created the world and watches over human life on earth. We would agree with that, would we not? Yeah, sure, we, we're good with that. God wants people to be good and life should be fair. Now, isn't that interesting? So fairness is a big is a major is a major part to the thinking here, okay? Um and so you you sort of kind of think about it, well does God want people to be good? Yeah. And who of us doesn't want life to be fair? Right? Don't you want life to be fair? Yeah. Now it wasn't so fair for Jesus. Yeah. Well, our mothers said life, you know, life isn't fair. And of course, we love hearing that, don't we? Yeah. Life's central goal is to be happy. So you see where this goes, right? 
Um, it's interesting that it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Where do you think that idea of therapeutic would come from? God is my therapist. So if I go to a therapist, what is it I want the therapist to do? Fix it for me. Right? That's, that's, so that's, that's the idea here. Okay? This, the next two really illustrate that. God shouldn't be involved in your life unless you have a problem. Right? So why would I go to God? I'm not going to go to God unless what? Unless life isn't fair. Unless some crummy thing happens, right? Then I'm going to go to God, and what the God that I want or the control that I want to have over him is that I want him to make it better. I want him to make it fair. I want him to change other people because clearly the problem is with other people, right? Isn't that right? Sure, okay? And then the last one is good people go to heaven. And the question, of course, is what is good, right? And then how good and all those kinds of things. Okay, very, it's a very popular today. And so when we think in terms of faith, hope, and love, the, the messaging that comes from a lot of people is that love is a feeling. So this whole idea of feelings over facts is, prom, is very prominent in a feeling generation. And, and so, again, you know, you kind of think about it if you've ever been to a counselor and he said, well, how did you feel about that? Right. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but it's just to say that that nowadays for a lot of people, if I feel like you are offending me, you are. If I feel like you are oppressing me, you are. If I feel like you are judging me, well, then you must be judging me, even if you're not. You because I feel it. Therefore, it is. And that's the prominent thinking today. OK, that's why it's, it's really difficult at times to challenge people's thinking because there's a high degree of sensitivity to the idea that if you do that, well, then you must hate me. So all this stuff about free speech on campus and how we need to shut that down, we need to kill free speech on college campuses because if we, if we uh, bring in a speaker or if we have a professor who teaches something that causes discomfort in the minds and the ears of the student, that's bad. We can't handle that. Okay? So that just tells you a little bit about the extent to which that has now taken hold. And we would be concerned about that, would we not? Okay? Because how else can you uh, develop critical thinking? I don't mean critical theory, but how else do you develop critical thinking if you can't hear something that really bugs you and then uh, work it through uh, to get some greater sense of what's really going on other than the fact that you felt that way, okay? And I don't know, maybe, you know, in some ways, and I, I can't answer this because I'm of a way different generation, when when you when you're in church and you hear the pastor say something that bugs you, what do you do with it? What what do you all do with it? What? Ignore it. Yeah. Ignore it. Okay, we have one ignore. Okay. Oh, you go to him later and say, "How come you said that?" Oh wow, that's 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 okay. Ignore, and then uh, like two extremes. There we go. Okay, yeah. Uh, generally speaking, if something bugs me, yeah, I try to think about why it stings. Generally, I find that if it stings, there's some truth behind it. Oh. And I try and figure out why it pissed me off. Okay. I, know that there's something in me that got irritated at that yep. so i try and figure out why did i get so mm -hmm. triggered in that moment because i it wouldn't have bothered me it wouldn't have pulled my attention if i didn't get defensive so i try and figure out what it was that bothered me mm -hmm. before i go open my very loud opinionated mouth at someone before i understand why i'm upset because if i don't understand why i'm upset then i'm just gonna probably say something i don't mean and it's not going to be a joyful thought so yeah i'm going to discuss it at some point but if i don't understand why i felt okay so you're you're saying i'm you're willing to entertain the possibility that there might be something in there that needed to be offended. Oh, I mean... Or at least, you know. You ever had somebody do this to your ear? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's the same thing. God's spirit does that all the time. Yeah. And, it stings. I generally think there's truth to it. Yeah. And there's a reason why it stings, and I have to figure it out. Okay, Ken. Hope you're taking notes on this. This is very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lawrence and then Max. You got to tell you where you live. Yep. You hear what he said? It got to you where you live. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and Max. Well, what what statement have you found in your years of being a pastor really does that? What's triggered that the most? You mean like recently, like this morning, or what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> can you give us an example? Oh gosh, I hate being put on the spot like this. Let's see, how many? Ten or eleven things? Yeah, what is it? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, see, I'm a I'm a late reactor. So, and plus when I'm listening to other people's sermons, it's not like you listen to other people's sermons because I do that professionally. And so then I'm thinking to myself, well, I wouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> right? So it's a little different when I, when I listen to sermons. Okay. Um, but most of it would be when, when my, when my psychological training collides with the attempt that the preacher is having to bring some psychology into the sermon. Does that make sense to say it that way? Yeah. It's a little bit it's a little bit different for me, okay? Because I look at um human the way we do stuff is more complex. I don't look at it as a simple thing of, oh, um you just had a bad thought. You know, it, it doesn't work that way for me. Okay? So that's why I am punting this question to you all <laughs> and not uh, wanting to reveal. Uh, well, let me ask you this way. When I'm sitting up there and uh, whoever happens to be preaching um, says something that sort of goes a little south for me. Can you see that on my face? Can you see that? Well, fortunately, yeah, as I'm turning away, <laughs> sucking on mints, um, occasionally, I did that this morning, I, gra- I had my bulletin and I grabbed a little pen out of the lectern and I was writing stuff down. So that was because of the 1 Corinthians 13, it wasn't because of the, of the, of the sermon. But, um, so I... The good thing is that the camera's not on me when, uh, you know, but it's just, it, it's, I guess, it, again, thinking in terms of our reaction to things that we hear. The fact is, is that if there wasn't a reaction, there probably wasn't, it probably wasn't where I live. And when God's word hits where we live, that's when it's a real important moment. Maybe even if you're a late reactor like I am, like, the next day, you're right, is you go, oh, you know what? There was something to that that I really needed to hear. Yeah, did you have your hand up? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, rather than like, myself, I like to bring it to God. Just pray about it. Oh, yeah, so praying about it. Oh, what a novel idea, praying about it. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. No, that's because, again, it's, it's the idea, though, of reflecting on it before you react to it. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pray on it, that's good. If I need to talk to a trusted person about it, I can do that. Right? That's a good idea to do those things, sort of process it and then respond to it. Okay? Because a lot of times the stuff that we really need to hear is stuff we really don't want to hear, right? Yeah. Kathy. I think sometimes when that happens, I just have to say to myself, consider the source. And let it go. Okay. Otherwise, you would you would be in a pinch all the time. Yeah. And having been raised Catholic, I, I learned I don't believe in you know the uh, I left it because this is the truth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're gonna test it. And yeah. I'm like, I've heard and rejected that. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, this person is trying to think get me into sort of being Catholic. I'm like, you know, consider the source. Mm. And I'll just... Okay. If it has a denominational flavor to it, you are uh, you are out the door. And yes. I say to myself, Kathy, you believe in the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. The rest is... You know, oh, yeah. That's, that's nice, that's so, nice. see, you have your basis. 
you have your basis. That's right. That's right. The Apostles' Creed is your lens through which you look at it. Stuff. Yes. Okay. I'll bear that in mind. Yeah, one more, and then we'll move on. We talked about active listening a few weeks ago. Yeah. And the leaders don't have a carte blanche ability to, to, to be accepted for everything they say. Right. And we have an outright responsibility as individuals not to question them, to say, but to say, did I hear that right? Yeah. And, and to either accept it or learn from it. Mm-hmm. And both learn from it. Mm-hmm. And, and without the feedback, the wrong things happen, and we've seen churches and leaderships go absolutely astray oh, yeah. because people don't feedback. Yeah, the hard thing about a sermon is that nobody's going to ask you for your opinion during the sermon, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a hard thing. Um, that Pastor Coleman and I have talked about that quite a bit because sometimes we get criticism or we get criticized because we don't uh, preach. This is the criticism. You don't preach enough on social issues. You don't preach enough on abortion. You don't preach enough on LGBT. You don't preach enough on all the things that people are dealing with today. And the reason why we don't, and they're right, we don't. Okay, We might mention it, but we don't, is because to, to, to talk about those things needs to be like now, like here, right? Because why? Because maybe what we say, the way we say it, didn't come across the way we meant it or the way that it was received, and then nobody gets a chance to go, um, excuse me, okay, so I'm not espousing that. Please don't do that, okay? Um, but here you can, Right? I mean, like what Eddie did a while back when, when we were talking about, you know, what there is no God and I am God. So what he, he, interact, he reacted to that, responded to that, and then I responded back to him. We get a chance to do that. So that's why we do that in here, okay? But not in a proclaiming setting, which is basically one-way communication going from the speaker to the listener. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's why we, that's why we do it that way. Okay, well, let's get to the lens number three. Which is I? Uh, this is what I term and uh, 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 call biblically conservative Christianity. And remember, I'm I'm using that word conservative to mean that base the basic tenet of biblically uh, uh, conservative Christianity is is that the Bible is the word of God. If you want to get really right down to basics, the Bible is the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God, right? And so because it is. It's the lens through which we measure things. It's the lens through which we make sense of things. So stuff in life happens. And when it does, if the basis of my life is that God is my father and I am his child, because that's what the scriptures teach us, that that's how it is, then that's going to impact what I believe and how I make sense of the world. So God created the world and everybody in it. God is a loving father and an unbiased judge of sin. Now, from that moralistic, therapeutic, deistic perspective, God is a loving Father, and that's all. That's all. See, there's a difference there. Uh, and this is kind of Apostles' Creed stuff, as, as Kathy was uh, pointing out. God sent Jesus to redeem the world, and people are of highest worth and have eternal purpose to serve their neighbors. That's, again, you can see the difference between biblically conservative Christianity and everybody else. Okay, so a little exercise here, and then we'll uh, uh, then we'll end for today. A little exercise. Name some stuff in life which happens. So, what would some examples of good stuff? When good stuff in life happens, what what would be in the category for you of good stuff? Good stuff. Children, grandchildren. Children, grandchildren. Good stuff. Okay. Pardon. Falling in love. Novocaine, good stuff. <laughs> All right, what else? What else? Good stuff. Yeah, Joseph. Do what? Getting a promotion. Getting a promotion, working hard, and yeah, achieving something. Good stuff. What else? Good stuff. Being healthy. Being healthy, good stuff. Yeah. Being smarter with age. How about that? Oh, yes. You're the wisest person here. Yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
a hand went up from the daughter. I'm not sure what to make of that. Oh, high fiving! Oh, good, good catch right there. Great cover. Do what? Rangers in the World Series. No, Rangers winning the World Series. Like, that would be that. Absolutely, yes. And we live in the hope and faith and love of that, do we not? Yes, we do. All right. Winning the Super Bowl this year. Yes. All right, bad stuff. What's some bad stuff? Death. Death can be bad. Yeah, what else? Bad stuff. Illness. Death. Somebody said death already. Yeah, Mark. Losing your job. Yeah, yeah. Having somebody say, uh, it's costing us too much to keep you. If any of you have hit a certain age in your profession and the company starts saying, you know, we can get some college kid to come in and do what you're doing. Oh, that's a great feeling, right? But that's very that's very common in this area of uh, of the the, uh, the corridor that we live in. Okay, any other bad stuff comes to mind? Severe illness by cancer. Yeah. So terminal or just where you're having to look at some significant chemo or some radiations, things like that. Root canal. <laughs> There's a certain theme here. Have you noticed this? Uh, there's a little theme going on here, so yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so good stuff happens, bad stuff happens, right? Okay, that, that's the example. All right, so that you think in terms of the lens helps somebody or informs somebody's conclusions about the bad stuff or the good stuff, all right? So if lens number one was the naturalism or the secular humanism, then when good stuff happens, it must be the result of what? Either that you did it yourself, so therefore you did it, or what's very popular today is, is that you benefited from some privilege that was granted you in your life, and that if bad stuff happens, it be, it's because you are a victim of the oppression uh, that's, that you, uh, where you didn't have the privilege that somebody else did. That's... That's that's like the overarching message that we hear today. Okay, so it when we when we hear that and it goes to our core of saying that's not right, that's not correct. What we're responding to is the fact that our lens is different from this lens. So that's see that's why I'm having you do this is that we would think about the lens, not just the messaging. The messaging is the messaging, but that we're thinking more deeply about what is it that are the beliefs that are driving that. Okay, that's the idea. Okay, um, and so then if you if bad stuff happens and it's the result of you being victimized by somebody else, then what conclusion would you draw about what to do about it? What you do about it is you get the privilege, right? And you make somebody else be the victim. And then you get to be the victor. That's that's the conclusion, which doesn't really change anything, does it? It's just a role reversal is, in fact, what it is. Okay, what about the second one? The lens number two is the moralistic therapeutic deism. All right, if good stuff happens, then what conclusion do I draw? That I deserved it. Yeah, that I, I was good. Yeah, and that life is fair, and I did good things, and because life is fair, that ought to be the way it is, right? So if bad stuff happens, then what do I conclude? Somebody else is bad. Yeah, that's right. See, it, it keeps you stuck, does it not? Because it's centered on your own desire to make life fair. Well, then I'll just make life fair for everybody. Well, the problem is, how hard do you have to work to make life fair? And then what do you do if it isn't? That's where the despair kicks in. And then lens number three, if good stuff happens... Through a biblically conservative uh, Christian lens, if good stuff happens, what? God blessed you. Came from God. And now, again, now God gives you ability, and you know maybe you did work hard for it, and and you can enjoy the fruits of it, right? But not to make yourself better than somebody else. It's just to enjoy the blessings of it. And if bad stuff happens, what? Yeah, and God in charge will turn it into good because that's what he promises. See the difference? 
And so when you think in terms of the outcome of faith, hope, and love, you can see where it's more possible when it's coming out of that third lens because it's sourced in God. It's motivated by God, and it's empowered by God to be sustainable. Okay? So the Bible's truth is that your best life ever is with God, as creator, father, redeemer, and sanctifier. And that's because of all of people's attempts to make sense of the stuff in life that happens cannot infuse a reliable presence of faith, hope, and love into the equation, not without God as creator, father, redeemer, and sanctifier. Failure to acknowledge God as God robs people of the source and sustainer of the joyful life, even in the midst of the stuff of life. Okay? So I I provided this uh, verse for you from 2 Corinthians. And so for your homework, okay, I want you to go through that reading and identify where the faith, hope, and love is present in what Paul is saying even in the midst of the stuff of life, okay? So there's a lot to be said for that. So I will be checking your homework in two weeks. Uh, Bob will not insist that you do the homework, but I will ask about it in two weeks. Okay? All right, let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to really think through the ways in which people think today. Yes, Lord, we learn there's nothing new under the sun, even though we all think that we have the latest and the greatest. But the latest and the greatest, dear Lord, can't even come close to that wonderful words that you give to us in the book of Genesis, that in the beginning, God, that just gives it all to us. So, Lord, as we go through our week uh, this week and also next week, I pray that you be with each of us, that you remind us that you are God. And that is our best life ever when we remember that and when we live for that. And then remind us that you are the one who loves us. You are the one who redeemed us. You are the one who forgives us. And you give to us an eternal purpose in this life and the life to come. So watch over us, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.